Hey, so uh, I am really, really excited to share with you tonight what the Lord's put on my heart. Um, yeah, so tonight we're going to talk about this really just light and easy topic. It's nothing big, not heavy, won't make anyone depressed at the end. We're going to talk about the justice of God. Yeah, because I know everyone wakes up in the morning and goes, oh yeah, that small thing, not a big deal, <laughs> right? Right? This is, yeah, okay, yeah. So, um, before we dive into it, I want to uh, complain for a minute, if that's okay. We're talking about justice, so why not complain? Amen? Amen. All right. So, I want to talk about how badly I've been wronged in life. Can I talk to you about how badly I've been wronged? This is how I've been wronged. One, one, I am a middle child. Anyone else a middle child? Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Just the desperate need for attention because mom and dad never loved you enough, right? Amen. That's how it is. Look, older kids... You, you got all the attention while, before the second one came along, right? So shut up, right? And the baby, you are the baby. Like, everybody loves you. Middle kid, we're just ignored. It's fine. My parents were always like, go back to your closet. And I was like, oh. I didn't, I didn't live in a closet most of the time. Um, but no, okay, so middle child. But also, just to stack on top of that, my birthday is on Christmas Day. True story. Birthday is on Christmas Day. So as you can imagine, I am just a bitter and angry person. I have had maybe four birthday parties in my entire life, and one of those birthday parties, only one person showed up. So shout out to Orion Daniel, my BFF, back in fifth grade. And the best part of that was it was the first birthday party after my parents got divorced, and it was like my dad was in charge of it, you know? And he was like, we'll have a birthday party, but he lived in this really, really ghetto part of Dallas, you know, where it's like people were getting shot in his apartment parking lot all the time, so nobody wanted to come. And uh, good news is we had cake for days. Um, but yeah, like, so not only, not only like on Christmas birthdays, right, you, you, you have to just pick a random day in the year to be your birthday, right? It's just like, I don't know, June 8th, who cares, right? And everybody else knows that you're just picking something random, right? They're just like, what? that's not your real birthday, whatever, move along, Scroggins. And I was like, okay, I'll go back to my closet. And then, and then like on your birthday, on your actual birthday birthday, it's never like about you. You know what I mean? Like, that's part of the fun of birthdays, is that it's like, it's me day! You know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all had families where it was like, I'm king for the day? Come on, some of you did. I know you did. You're just afraid to admit it right now, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, JB's honest. God bless you. Um, but yeah, like, I never got that. Even now, it's my birthday, but my children wake up on Christmas Day at 5 in the morning. I don't even get to sleep in on my birthday. I've been horribly wronged. Okay? The worst thing that ever happened to me in life, and this is maybe a bit dramatic, but when I was 10, I wanted a remote control car for my birthday, right? And I saw like the, you know, those remote control cars you see on commercials, and it's like, like, do backflips and like go over ramps. And you're like, that's the cool, when you're 10, that's the coolest thing on earth, right? I don't know if that's still true today. Maybe today it's like, I don't know, a drone, but who knows. But I really wanted a remote control car, right? And, and I remember waking up on my Christmas slash birthday, right? And, 
and seeing a box under the Christmas tree, and I was just so jazzed. I'm like, that is the perfect remote control size car box. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just knew it. You know when you see a box and you're like, I know what that is. That's exactly what I wanted, right? And I remember being so excited, you know. I run over there, I open it up, and it's the remote control car I wanted, right? It could flip over and drive both ways. It could do ramps. It went 45 miles per hour, scale miles per hour, which meant it was just slow. But, but I didn't know that, right? And I was so excited, right? And I was like, this is my Christmas present, right? Because it was wrapped in Christmas paper. Because that's how you tell when your birthday is on Christmas. Um, it was wrapped in Christmas paper, and I saw my birthday present. And I was like, what on earth can they give me for my birthday that's going to top this Christmas present? You know what they gave me? Batteries. The batteries for the remote control car. Batteries for the remote control car for my birthday. I'd rather have socks. You know, at least those last freaking cheap batteries from Walmart too, you know? They weren't even Duracell. They were like Duragel or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? The off brands where they change one letter, you know? Like, and I, I, don't get, I don't get birthday cards. I get Christmas cards with happy birthday handwritten into it, you know, and five bucks in there, that's $2.50 per holiday. I can't even afford stationery to say thank you, great Aunt Lucy. Lucy is short for Lucifer. <laughs> just kidding, I don't have a great Aunt Lucy. But it's just horrible, right? I have been wronged. The world is unfair. This is a horrible injustice that has been done to me. And I hope that you agree now that I've ranted for 10 minutes, right? You can tell I'm angry, right? In fact, like, this is like justice and fairness is like one of those moral absolutes that you learn earliest, right? You all remember that moment when you were a kid and you got one scoop of ice cream and the kid next to you got a bigger scoop of ice cream. You remember that? And you're like... I want justice! You know what I'm talking about? And you start like rioting and throwing chairs and campaigning, right? Like we all know what that is like. My, my boys are learning that right now. Three of my boys are in soccer, right? And they're learning another level of justice, right? They're my children. They're not athletic. It doesn't matter how hard you try or how much you practice, you're still my kid, right? You have the athletic ability of Gumby. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen for you. And you can try really hard, and you can always get the effort award, but you will never start. You know, it's just, and they're learning this lesson, right? Life is just unfair. Things are unjust and unequal, right? So when we grow up, we, we grow up and find out that life is just really unfair, right? And, and when we take this idea of fairness and we apply it generally on the world, that's what we call justice, yeah? So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. If you don't have your Bible, we have it up on the screen. And if you stole your Gideon Bible out of your hotel room, it's page 838. I told you, I'm going to make that joke every time. I love it. All right, praise God. All right, and we're going to read this parable, and by the time we're done, you're going to be like, this has nothing to do with what you just talked about, Scroggins, but I promise it'll tie in after an hour of talking. What? (laughs) All right, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. 
About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. At about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we are going to talk about a topic that can elicit emotions in our hearts very quickly. Father, I pray that you would help us keep clear minds and clear hearts so that we can see your work, your word, your character through this message that you have for us. Holy Spirit, we ask you to join us. Come and be the king of our hearts and minds. Speak to us. Convict us of what is right and convict us of what is wrong. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right. So that was a confusing parable when it comes to justice, huh? We'll get to it, I promise, all right? So like we talked about earlier, ever since we were little kids, we have felt a need for the world to be just, right? We all feel that. And, and I think this even continues today, especially in our generation, or generations, I guess I can't say that anymore. I'm almost 40 now. Yikes. Um, I found a gray hair in my beard the other morning, and I was like, well, here comes death. Anyway. But we, we feel that today, right? We have social justice is a big buzzword on the internet from what I understand, right? We have lots of protests. That happens sometimes, right? That's not on the news feed constantly. And then there's always some hashtag justice for somebody, right? It's a big deal. Justice is a big deal, and it should be. We feel it in our hearts. We can't get away from it. The world should be just. Things should be fair. But I think to us, there's a flaw in the way that we think about justice, kind of in our modern mindset, in our, in our modern American way of thinking, right? Is that we think about it in a way that doesn't help us truly understand what justice is and what justice does. So as an analogy that we're going to keep revisiting, let's say that my phone uh, was stolen, right? My iPhone was stolen, and then they catch the thief, right? And he's tried and convicted and thrown in jail. We would say that justice was served, correct? Yeah, justice was done. 
And that's because our view of justice tends to focus on the present and focus on the perpetrator. We want them to pay. And if you think about the way that we have expressed our desire for justice in our society, protests, whatever, it's always about the perpetrator, isn't it? Bringing them to justice. And I'm not saying that this is necessarily wrong, but I'm just saying it's the way we think about it. And I find it unhelpful because we operate largely out of the view of God and out of the view of eternity. We seek justice apart from him and apart from his mind, apart from his word and his laws. You see, God's sense of justice is different from ours because God is focused on restoration and reconciliation. God is focused on restoration and reconciliation. And this is because God has a view of eternity. See, largely in our culture, we think about here and now. We must have justice be done here and now because we don't trust God to take care of it later. Does that make sense? And in our mindset, we see justice as something that's juxtaposed against mercy, right? We're like, it's about being just, God is just, but he's also merciful. And we think that it's kind of a yin and yang thing, and they're fighting against each other. As if there was some kind of delicate tug of war, and there's a balance in Jesus every now and again when it's one of his people that he likes, and they go to Sunday, church on Sundays enough times, or, or maybe they pray uh, before they eat food, and, and during that tug of war, he'll just tug it towards mercy to help us out, right? But that's not how this works. See, God sees justice in a different man- manner. I believe that in God's view of justice, Since he has eternity in his mind, he sees mercy and judgment opposed. And the two work in Congress together to achieve true justice. Does that make sense? Mercy and judgment working together to achieve the goal of justice. Right? And I know you're probably thinking right now, but Scroggins, look at the world. It's a freaking mess, right? The evil prosper, the good suffer, right? Bezos has enough money that he can play with literal, real rockets while there's people starving in Africa. How is that just? Well, can I tell you that the Bible feels that too? The Bible's honest about the world. In Psalm 73, the psalmist says, they say, How would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. Bold-faced, right there. You can't escape it. The Bible knows what's up. Did you know the Bible's really honest? It, It really is. You should read it sometime. And what the Bible is asking of God, and what we should ask of God if we're being honest with ourselves and looking at the world, we should be asking, if God is just, why do the bad people seem to get away with it? Why do the wicked seem to prosper? If God is just, why do the innocent suffer? If God is just, why does evil persist? It's that classic problem of pain, problem of evil. Some would ask these questions and say that because of these statements, 
There must not be a God at all because the world seems so devoid of justice. Right? Y'all still with me? See, I told you this was going to be super light, right? It's just like breezing through this stuff, not philosophically heavy. No moral conundrums arising right now in our hearts. One of my uh, favorite songs, so uh, here's a confession that I have to make to all of you. Um, I'm a closet country fan. I know. Um, but, but old school country, right? I'm not, I don't abide like the new stuff, you know? But if you want to play some Johnny Cash and Junior Brown, I'm down, right? So Johnny Cash, uh, before he passed away, he recorded like a ser- series of albums called the American Albums, right? And on, I think it's his fifth album, he put a song in there that he used to sing at camp revivals with his mom when he was young. And the song is called, God's Gonna Cut You Down. Maybe you've heard it, right? It says, you can run on for a long time, you can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's gonna cut you down, right? And I remember, like, I love this song. I just love it, right? And it, it just freaking is awesome. If you, you just listen to it sometime, right? And I love it because it reminds me of God's justice, and that's pretty cool. But I remember I posted this on Facebook, right? I posted the lyrics on Facebook uh, when the album came out, and I was, like, super pumped, right? And I remember being really curious, like, just really intrigued by one of my friends that posted a comment after, you know, this was when Facebook was cool. You guys use, like, Snapchat or TikTok. I don't know. I don't understand that stuff. But she, po- she commented underneath it. She's like, I don't like that. God's going to cut you down. That sounds really harsh. Maybe, maybe we should say that God's going to be really mad at you. God's going to be really mad at you. Like he's looking at you and he's just like, I am so angry right now. I don't even know what to do. But I always thought that justice is what we wanted done. Isn't it interesting that we want justice to be done? Our hearts yearn for it. We, we recognize injustice quickly. But when we talk about justice, we get really squeamish really quick. And I think what my friend was feeling when she read these lyrics is that she knew the type of person that God was going to cut down. And I think some of us are uncomfortable right now because deep down, we know the type of person that God's going to cut down. You see, God can solve the problem of evil. He can quickly remedy the, the, the bad people prospering and the innocent people suffering. He can make evil stop persisting. All he has to do is remove everyone that's selfish. That's it. Remove everyone that is selfish. The Bible has a fancy word for selfishness. They call it sin. See, sin is when, the, when you act and think like you're the center of the universe. Other people would call that selfishness. For me, those words are interchangeable. And because all of us are selfish, we're the perpetrators. In my little analogy, 
We're not the people that have the phone stolen. We're the people stealing the phone. Yeah? And here's the crazy thing. We're like, God, get rid of all the evil people. Of course, we're never evil, right? It's never us. Like, we, we, there's some line between good and bad, right? And we're always slightly above that line. Not way above the line because we're not Gandhi. We're not Mother Teresa, you know. But we're like not Hitler, right? But did you know that God actually did solve the problem of selfishness? He did. This is, if you go in your Bible all the way to the beginning, like page number six, right? God's looking at the earth and he says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That kind of sounds like some people you know, doesn't it? The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. God did that. He did exactly what we wanted. He let justice be done on the earth. It resulted in everyone being wiped off the face of the earth. Because every one of us is selfish. And for those of you that maybe didn't go to Sunday school, right? Um, this is the beginning of the flood story, right? If you have a children's Bible, they framed it as like there's a boat and there's somebody smiling and there's like a giraffe with his ears flapping in the wind, you know? And there's like a lion next to like a sheep and they're all, everything's happy, Right? But really what it was, was storms raging for 40 days and 40 nights and hearing people scrape and claw and bang on the side of the ark as they slowly drowned. Yeah, it wasn't fun. The giraffe, if he was there, he wasn't smiling, okay? And then God later, after the flood narrative ends, after the waters recede, God and Noah are having an interaction And God says, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. See, what God did is exactly what we want. God was just, right? God, if, if you can take out all the evil people, and he did, he did. The problem with that is that there was only one that he could find that was halfway decent, right? It says, everyone was evil but Noah. And if that but wasn't there, your but wouldn't be here, you know? But even the best one that he could find was still stupid and selfish. Ended up ruining everything before they even got out of the chapter. And God, here, this is the promise where the rainbow's in the sky, right? He puts the rainbow up there. But God made that promise to never flood the earth again, not because he felt bad, or because the carnage was too great, but because if he kept that standard, he would have to flood the earth every minute of every day because all of us are hopelessly selfish. Remember that hypothetical about my phone being stolen, right? So let's say my my phone gets stolen, they catch the guy red-handed, he's tried, convicted, and he's in jail. Is justice really done? 
No, it's not. I still don't have my phone. Justice is done on the thief, but I am still suffering injustice. Because in that case, judgment works without mercy, and full and total justice cannot take place. So then we must ask, what is justice? In this scenario, in this analogy, what is justice? Well, frankly, for justice to be done, it's whatever I decide is good enough to satisfy my wrong. Does that make sense? Y'all tracking? Yeah. For justice to really happen, the wronged party must be satisfied. Not society being satisfied for the punishment of the criminal, but the victim feeling like justice has been done. And if we apply this on the grand scale of humanity, we have to ask who is really wronged. The Bible is clear. Neither you nor I are the innocent party. In that quotation, before God, when God announces that he's going to flood the earth, there's this fun little verse, Genesis 6.6. 6, it says, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. This is a really complicated verse, but a couple things is that word regret. In the Hebrew, it means to completely and totally change your mind. When he saw how we were treating each other and treating his world, he said, I wish I had never done this. And when it said that he, his heart was deeply troubled, that word is a onomatopoeia. Remember that word from English class in high school? Onomatopoeia? And it, it means to gasp. It's, it's root. The root word that it comes from means to cut or to carve. God was so grieved, so deeply troubled by the way that we treat each other and treat his world that he gasped like he had been stabbed in the back. That's how deeply he's wronged. And he feels every wrong that every person on the planet feels. He doesn't shield himself from pain. The cross is a testimony of that. When you weep, he sits next to you and weeps too. So not only does he feel the pain that we cause him just from being selfish, but he feels the pain that we cause others from being selfish as well. There's no one more heartbroken over the state of the world than God. This is his creation, and we are his children, and we have destroyed, devalued, and denigrated both. We have rebelled against his rule, we have rejected his wisdom, and we have betrayed his loving trust. God is the most wronged of all of us. So he is the one who decides if justice has been satisfied or not. So it takes us back to the parable. Remember that confusing thing we read like 30 minutes ago? See, this landowner gives out pay according to what he wants. Right? He has some people that only worked an hour and they earned a denarius, which is a full day's wage. And then some people worked a full day and they got the same thing. And those people, the ones that had worked the full day, were offended. But that's the generosity of God that no matter how long they worked, 
they got the same pay. In the same way, God decides what will satisfy his wrong. No matter how great the sin, in quantity or in quality, the same thing is required. He gives us all the same pay. 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. If there was one verse in the whole Bible that reveals the heart and character of God, it's this. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So in the justice of God, his requirement is repentance. Repentance is a funny word, uh, and it means lots of different things to lots of different people. Maybe you've seen this word written on a sign somewhere where somebody's standing on a street corner screaming, right? The end is near, repent, right? You know, it's one of the favorite words of the Westboro Baptist people. But to God, and in the biblical use of this word, the word repent means to change. The Greek word is metanoia, if you're a nerd. It's for you, metanoia. Meta meaning beyond and noia meaning your mind. It literally means to go out of your mind. To repent means to lose your mind. It's a total change of heart. It's to change the way you think and act. So let's go back to the analogy. The thief steals my phone, and he's caught with it. But I intervene, and I say this. I say, thief, stop being a thief. Restore what was lost. And apologize. And I will forgive you. And let's say the thief agrees to that. There, justice is satisfied by both parties. Do you see that? I get what I want. I get my phone back. And then he gets something better, which is to stop being a jerk that ruins the world, which is pretty cool. Sometimes you get addition by subtraction, right? In, in this analogy, that's what God asks of us. All God asks of you is for you to say sorry and to promise to live according to his character. He asks the selfish to stop being selfish. In his economy of justice, he wants mercy to work. But that mercy can only come if you promise to stop being selfish. He asks you to be a friend like he is a friend. He asks you to be faithful like he is faithful. He asks you to love like he loves. He asks you to be holy like he is holy. And then he asks you to be merciful like he is merciful. Micah 6.8 sums this up. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? You ready for this? This is it. To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
What this means is, is that we're able to forgive people that wrong us because we're humble. We know we're not that big of a deal. There's no reason to get worked up over us being wronged. And we love justice, right? We act justly. So we're patient like the Lord is patient to see justice done in their lives. It helps us through suffering because we're humble and we trust our God more than we trust ourselves. If we follow this verse, if we follow God's plan for repentance, it doesn't mean that we won't get hurt again. It doesn't mean that we won't be wronged in the future. But what it does mean is that we understand the mind and the heart of God and that he is allowing, allowing that selfish person to continue so that they might have another chance to repent. Do you understand that? That I explain that well. He is allowing that selfish person that hurt you to have another chance to repent. Because he is patient with you and he's patient with others, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He was patient with you, with all the pain that you caused in your selfishness. And he patiently waited for a moment for you to repent to say sorry, and to stop being selfish. In my analogy, I want my phone back from the thief, right? But in reality, God wants his children back. Evil persists on the earth because God wants to be generous with his mercy, just like the landowner was generous with his money. And in God's view of justice, he doesn't want to punish the perpetrator as much as he wants restoration and reconciliation with his children. Mercy works with judgment to seek justice. So this means that God will wait until the fifth, till five o'clock in the afternoon, the 11th hour of the day, for those last few to come to him to seek to satisfy justice through his mercy. God doesn't eliminate all the selfish people from the earth like he could. Because like me throwing the thief in jail for stealing my phone, he won't get the justice that he desires because he won't have his child back. And the worship team can come back up. The justice of God desires repentance and reconciliation above judgment. If I were to say to the thief, say sorry and promise to give up your evil ways of living and then refuse to allow him to be thrown in jail, justice is still satisfied. So in the same way, if we repent of our evil ways, God's mercy satisfies justice. But if we do not, then judgment awaits. That's the truth.
So let's talk about that judgment thing real quick because I'm sure it's freaking everybody out, right? Well, God knows how destructive selfishness is. I mean, just go to news.google.com, read a few headlines, and I'm sure you'll get the gist of it. Selfishness is horrible, right? So, if you deny God the chance to be merciful, if you refuse to say, I'm sorry, God, I'm going to stop being selfish, then at the end of time, he will make a place where all of the selfish people can be as selfish as they want. And they can try and fill all of the desires of their selfish little hearts. And they keep throwing stuff into that God-shaped hole in their heart, but it'll never fill up. And that's why Jesus says that fire doesn't stop burning. Because there's no amount of lust that can make you fulfilled. There's no amount of selfishness that can make you feel whole. As my pastor here at the church, SAF, Pastor Landon says, if you don't want a little bit of God here, why would you want a little bit of, a whole lot of God there? And so God in his justice says, I've made a place for you where I'm not. And if you'd like, you can go there. But it's your decision. And that place is where he is not. And God is merciful. And God is peaceful. And God is loving. And he's kind. And he is good. And so that place is devoid of all of those things. It is unloving. It is unkind. It's bad. Because God is just. And so he had to make that place. But he doesn't want you to go there because he's patient. He's unwilling that any should perish, wanting everyone to come to repentance. And so, in his generosity, all you have to do is repent. Say sorry. God, I'm going to stop being selfish. And it really is that simple. And there's some of you that may be sitting here thinking, uh, that's not fair. Nope. Are you telling me that Dahmer like, could have just been like, sorry, God, right before he died? Are you telling me that Hitler could have been like, sorry, God. Genghis Khan, who knocked out literally 25% of the global population? Oh, my bad, Jesus. And my answer to you is yes. That absolutely could happen. And if you're upset by that, I'm worried about your heart. I'm worried that you're angry at a God that is too generous and kind, too forgiving. You've fallen into the trap of that disgruntled worker. And you're trying to tell, tell God what he can and can't do with his own things. Doesn't the Lord have the right to do what he wants with his own? Will not the judge of all the earth do right? So we're going to do something that we, we like to do often here in Kai Alpha. It's called an altar call, right? 
In this area up the front, these steps are places for you to kneel. Right? It's an altar. An altar is a place where you leave something as an offering for God. Some of us in here need to leave our selfish attitudes. Some of us in here, we need to leave our selfish lives behind. So I invite you to come to the altar and give an offering. God, I'm sorry. I'll stop being selfish. Because that's all he wants. Yeah? And look, I know like religious stuff is weird, right? People are like singing songs around you. You don't know how to handle it. I get it. I was in your place too. If you're nervous about coming up here, there's somebody that brought you or invited you, grab them and ask them to come with you. All right? Bring somebody with you to the front. It's okay. You can even walk to the front and be like, it's them, it's them. I don't pray for her, you know? It's okay. No one here will think that you're making a bad decision to say sorry to God and promise to be better. Sounds like a good decision, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. So the band will start the band will start playing. There we go. Speaking's my job, it's fine. And we'll open up these this area up front for you to come forward and say sorry, to repent, to go out of your mind, to change who you are. And the Lord will help you with that. And then there's another group of us. And maybe we have the attitude of the worker that was there all day. And we're a little bit angry with God because we were wronged. And that other person, they're getting away with it. And we're like the psalmist who wrote Psalm 73. Look at him, he's prospering. The wealthy get more wealth. And here I am. I've washed my hands in innocence. I've kept my hands from evil. To what end? It's useless. And we're mad at God for being patient. We're mad at God for being merciful. We're mad at God for being generous with his grace. And if that's you, come to the front. Come to the front and be honest with God. He already knows what you're thinking, but it'd be good for you to say it out loud. And if you want somebody to come with you, bring them. Yeah? Let's pray.